Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Babies don't come out of the womb walking. They have to learn and they have to practice over and over and over again. And they fall in their little diapered butts (laughs) and then they get back up and they try it again. And thankfully, children don't have inner critics because if they did, none of us would be walking. Welcome to episode two of the nice podcast. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. One of the key areas I speak on in my presentations and workshops is self. You can't become an effective leader without first focusing on yourself. Today, I'm speaking with Denise Jacobs. Denise is a popular keynote speaker, workshop trainer, and consultant. She is the author of the acclaimed Banish Your Inner Critic, which is the premier handbook on silencing fears and self-doubt to unleash creativity and help people do their best work. I should note here that Denise and I spoke quite a while back, so there might be a few older references in this recording, but everything Denise shares is still totally relevant. You're going to learn how fear is a choice, about the Dunning-Kruger effect, negativity bias, and fear conditioning, and ways to use meditation and mindfulness to banish your inner critic. And she's spot on, by the way, because since this recording, I've adopted a daily meditation practice that I deeply enjoy. So you can really get a lot from this. Last quick point here. My microphone had some sound quality issues. I'm still learning, but you can understand me just fine. And more importantly, Denise sounds great. And she's the most important person here. And so without further ado, here's Denise Jacobs. You're such a dynamic speaker. I loved watching you present for the Adobe Max conference not too long ago. Yeah, you did a a great job. Thank Um, you. Yeah, it was it was fun. And I'm gonna make sure to link the video in the show notes of this episode for sure. Mm-hmm. So folks can watch it because it's great. Um, during your presentation, you said our heads are our biggest block. How, how do we get out of our heads and how do leaders get past this sort of negative mm-hmm. self-talk? Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's so many ways to do it. Um, one of the things that I like to encourage people to do is to kind of first, first just to get in touch with those, those, voices at all right like because some people are just it's actually funny um 
I just was at a um, an event uh, last month, and a few people in the audience were just like, I, I don't really think I have an inner critic, kind of at the beginning of mm-hmm. the, you know, when I first started. And by the end of it, they were like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I have, I have moments. Right? <laughs> and so, so one of the exercises that I encourage people to do is I have what I call inner critic mad libs. And, um, and they're like, they're basically like sentences that you can fill in the blanks. This so, is like your, your self-compassion template? It's kind of, well, no, it's, it's kind of like the precursor. I guess this is what you can use before the, you know, before you start employing self-compassion uh okay. the inner critic mad libs are just you know just a tool to help you get in touch with that inner critical voice some okay. people are so familiar with their inner critic that they're like uh yeah no thank you i i know exactly what my inner critic is saying all the time <laughs> right but for those for those of you know for those people who are listening and and for those who are like i don't i don't really think i have an inner critic uh if you use some of these Mad Libs, a lot of times it'll help you get in touch with it. So things like, I can't blank because I haven't blank. So like, mm. you know, some people will be like, I can't start a business because I don't have a master's in, in, you know, because I don't have an MBA. Well, yeah, there are a lot of people who have started businesses who don't have an MBA, right? So right. that's that can be a way that the inner critic shows up. Or if I blank, then people will blank. So, you mm. know, if I go and I become a, you know, speak at this conference, people will laugh at me. Or if I share my ideas in this meeting, people will think I'm dumb or, you know, this kind of thing. Um, So, so sentences like that, um, I have actually quite a few, about 10 in my book. Um, All of these are, are designed to help you get in touch with that voice, that voice of self doubt and that those, I, those, those thoughts that, are holding you back from really doing what you want to do and really achieving the kind of success that you want. And the other thing that I was going to say, like when you asked that, Mm. particularly for leaders and high achievers, I, you know, my, my experience has been that the higher you go up in, you know, kind of the higher up the ladder for a ladder, lack of a better way of describing it, but the kind of the higher you get, in achievement and success and whatnot. And a lot of times, the stronger your inner critic gets, the louder it gets, Mm. because the stakes are higher, right? You have more people that you're responsible for, or you have a company that you're responsible for, or do you know what I mean? You have employees, or you have a team or whatever. Whereas, you know, when you were younger, and it was just you, yeah, your inner critic is there. And certainly, it's probably pretty virulent. But you know, the higher you get and the higher the stakes get, the louder your inner critic gets. And so um, it's actually one of my favorite things to work with people who are in those positions because not only does the inner critic get louder, but the less kind of socially acceptable it is for you to admit that you have an inner critic, Mm. right? Like how can you, how can you be the CEO of a company and be experiencing imposter syndrome? Who are you going to, talk to about this, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not going to be able to tell your employees like, oh, during your, you know, during your uh, big, you know, employee meeting. Oh, by the way, you guys, like, uh, you know, <laughs> I just feel like I got lucky being the CEO, but I'm going to lead you as best I can. Like you can't say that. Right. right. And you may have, you may have colleagues or you may have a group of people, but if you're, 
if you're most likely you're in a group of other people who are also like high achievers, then if they look like they're doing amazing and they're not having any problems with an inner critic, then what, you're going to be the first person to say, you know what? Like, mm-hmm. I just really feel like I just don't deserve this or I'm going to get found out that I don't know what I'm doing at any time. Like, you know, it's become more popular to talk about imposter syndrome, but I feel like there still aren't enough, there still aren't a lot of kind of resources and, you know, safe places for, for people who are high achievers and leaders to really work on this and to have the tools to get the tools that they, that they need to deal with it. So. And what are some of those? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I was going to say, so that's, that's what, that's one of the, that's my um, kind of one of my latest focus focuses, foci. (laughs) I never could (laughs) know the the plural for focuses, but you know what I'm saying. Um, uh, Areas of, of interest and focus is to help, uh, to help these people in particular with their inner critic. And so, um, so yeah, so there's some great, actually a really great um, tool that I use and that help, has helped me a lot over the years to deal with imposter syndrome is something that I call the, it, knowing that there's something called the imposter syndrome paradox. Mm. And the imposter syndrome paradox is basically that you won't experience imposter syndrome unless you're qualified and talented and and competent and have the skills. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like you you can't, if you're, if you're underskilled or underqualified or anything, you will not experience imposter syndrome. It'll be something else. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually what ends up happening is people are underqualified and they have a higher sense of what they're capable of. And that's the Dunning Kruger effect. Mm. Right. But if you have imposter syndrome and everything, like you can only have imposter syndrome when you're qualified. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I love that. So if you are feeling self-doubt, it, exactly. You it is be, it is a good thing in a sense. It's just mm-hmm. it's just making sure that you are you're you're getting ahead of yourself so that you're not letting that, you know, freeze you in what you're doing. Exactly. And I, you know, when I have those moments where I'm just like, "Oh, okay, this is great. This means that I can go and knock this out of the park." Because I wouldn't yeah. feel like I don't know enough or I'm not good. And, you know, like I wouldn't have that feeling unless I actually had the capacity to do it. You know, and it's funny because writing my last book, my first Mm. book and my last book, Mm. um, I went through like heavy, heavy, Mm. heavy imposter syndrome and 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 so much so that I Googled it in authors and found like (laughs) their whole world, like every author goes through this. Every Uh, single one. Right. Yeah. This book, my new book, is mm-hmm. each time. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I'm not going through self doubt because of course it happens. But I'm a lot better at telling myself like, "Shut up," mm. <laughs> you know. As soon as I start like questioning myself, I'm like, "Wait a minute," because because writing the first book, I mean, you know, my wife talked me down off the roof multiple yeah. times. Yep. <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know, honestly. The reason I, the thing that led me to starting to look into the inner critic and research it and, you know, come up with this whole idea of banishing your inner critic and everything was when I was writing my first book Mm -hmm. and I was like paralyzed for the first two days that I was supposed to be writing my book. I was literally paralyzed Mm. with self-doubt 
and inner critical thoughts and all this stuff. I did not realize at the time that that's what it was called and that's what was happening. Right. Um, but I mean, I just, I cried on my couch for four hours each day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, just, just sobbing. Like, I can't, and why do I know and who's gonna, yeah. and I'm gonna, it's not, I'm not good enough. And what if I'm not a good writer and all this stuff and all of it, you know, the thing that's so funny about it, I was like so paralyzed by all of this and it was all speculation. Like none of it was founded in anything that was actual or true or real. You right. know, the fact of the matter is, is that I have written things before in the past and they were well received. A. B, I can do research. I've done lots of research before. This is, I'm not, you know, like none of what I was doing was actually going outside of the purview of what I was able to do. None of it, not one bit of it was anything that I was already, that I hadn't already proven that I could do independent, you know, in and of itself. Sure. So it's just so funny that the, the, um, kind of magnitude and the, um, kind of how we aggrandize the process of writing a book. I mean, I don't, I'm sure people have said that to you, said this to you, like, Oh, I'm thinking about writing a book. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm like, it's like writing a bunch of different articles that mm-hmm. are all related to each other. Yeah. And, and so that like, I, I was like, if you can write a letter to somebody, if you can write an email to somebody, you can write a book. It's just, it takes longer. It's just, it's just writing a whole bunch of emails. Yeah. <laughs> right. That are all related to each other. Yeah. You know, I'm a slow reader and, and I often mm. get down on myself because I don't, I, I've done, I've gotten a lot better at this over the last couple of years, but even before that, I just didn't read as much as I should be. And my wife just, she's a librarian. She reads constantly. Like I'm always jealous that she's I'm like, how are you doing? <laughs> how do you read so much? But um, yeah. And, and in doing that, I just feel that like, you know, I just set myself a goal and, and, and started doing it. And I, and you know, you just start doing this stuff. You just get past this, like, well, I'm a slow reader. It's like, no, I'm going to do it. Or I can't write a book, but I can do it, you know? And, and even with reading and, and your analogy with emails and writing a book is a good one because it makes me automatically think of like, my wife pointed out, she's like, you read articles online all the time, right? Right. I'm like, well, yeah. And you read emails. Yeah. She's like, you are reading, you're probably reading more than I am. <laughs> I'm just not reading in like book form now. I, I mean, I have been over the last couple of years a lot more. So yeah, it's funny when you put it in perspective that way. Mm-hmm. So you wrote in your book, the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another, which I love. Yes. What are some yes. tips on choosing, you know, making the decision on what thoughts, you know, to focus on? Okay. So, so this is the, so I have an exercise that I do with my audiences and also uh, when I'm doing keynotes and also in workshops, Mm -hmm. but it's actually really great with a lot of people doing this at once Mm -hmm. because everybody kind of gets that aha moment at the same time. Um, So what I have people do, and you can do this too, we'll do it together is hold up both of your hands in front of your face, like palms facing your, your face and just like focus on your left hand Mm -hmm. And focus, like put all of your attention, like really look at the, your palm and your fingers and the shape and everything. And then imagine that your left hand is holding all of the negative thoughts that you don't want to think anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I can't do it. I'm not good. I'm not a fast reader. 
writing a book is difficult, you know, I can't lead this team, I just got lucky, all of those things. All of those thoughts, imagine that you're holding all of those thoughts in your left hand. And then I want you to very slowly just shift your attention from your left hand over to your right hand. And look at, take all of your attention, put all your focus on it. Look at the shape of your hand and the lines on your hands and everything. And then imagine that your right hand is holding all of the positive self-supportive thoughts that you want. Mm. I can do it. I'm really good at what I do. You know, I'm totally competent and skilled, etc. Now, now that you're so focused on your right hand, is your left hand still there? (laughs) 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 Do you care about your left hand now that you're so focused on your right hand? Yeah, not so much. (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) Right? Yes. And so when you... I love doing that because it's a very physical, visceral thing. And people always see that they're just like, oh my God, I totally forgot about my left hand. And I'm like, yep. (laughs) Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. that's Because it's all about attention and focus. And attention and focus has actually been called the gateway to neuroplasticity. Mm. Um, And so when you, literally when you shift your attention and you place your focus on a thing or a set of thoughts or whatever, you actually rewire your brain. Mm. Like that is the beginning of the process of you rewiring your brain. It's deep. Yes. That's amazing. Um, so, so that's what I, so that, you know, that, that is, that's the, that's the key. And if you, I, you know, I tell people, if you need to like forcibly make yourself shift your thinking, put your hands up, and imagine that all the things that you don't want to think that you like tired of thinking about that are really heart harmful are in your left hand and then put and if you're you know left hand and you're just like left handed stuff is always like you know villainized and everything okay then put your bad thoughts in your right hand and shift to your left hand whatever you want <laughs> um i know left hand I, I know a lot of lefties in my life yes. and i'm just like i under, i get it um <laughs> So, and then, you know, imagine that your positive thoughts on the other hand, and then make yourself actually turn your head and look at this other one and focus on this other hand. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a great tool. It's a great way to, to, like I said, to make it physical, not just this mental exercise, but this mind body connection that you can, that you can leverage. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, for those listening, um, if you are driving right now, don't try this. Don't try it when you're driving. <laughs> but any other time, do it for sure. No, it's a great, it's a great exercise. And yeah, I was definitely, I wanted to like high five you virtually somehow with my right. <laughs> yes. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, that's great. And, and part of like, you know, part of the chapter, the first chapter of my book about self-assessment and sort of understanding, you know, self-awareness and understanding who you are. What are some tips on, that that you might be able to share on understanding ourselves a little better, whether it's, you know, personality assessments or, or just reflection, any, any tips on, on kind of getting a better grasp of who we are? Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's all these really great um, uh, self-assessment tools. Um, One of the ones that I, I like a lot is the um, strengths finder. Yes. 
that, that can give you like a really good assessment of what your strengths are and kind of what your talents are and, and, and whatnot. Um, and then there's another one that I did recently. Um, I don't know why I'm like having a block on it. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, there's so, so many good things. And I think they're just, they're all really good tools. Uh, but I think the thing that's interesting is what ends up happening when we take these self-assessments is I, at least my experience is, is that we don't find out anything that we don't know. I think what a lot of times, I think what they, it, they have like words and, and ways of describing it that make sense. But I think there's part of us that already knows who we are mm-hmm. and how we are. And a lot of times those tools are just like validation. Yes. Like it's okay for me to be this way. Like, for example, there's a really great, um, really great assessment uh, tool that's called the Wealth Dynamics. Okay. That's by uh, Roger James Hamilton. And, um, and he's got like this kind of like multi-layered system, but, and the Wealth Dynamics is one part of it. And I took it. And when I got the when I got the uh, the final assessment, what I felt was not surprise, but was relief. Mm. So I tested as a creator. Mm-hmm. Duh! <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, um, she's a creativity evangelist, and her thing is creativity. You're a creator. Oh, that's so shocking. Um, <laughs> and and but what what it ended up what I ended up feeling like I said, was relief because all of a sudden I felt like it's okay for me to be who I am. It's okay for me to be this person who creates things or who comes up with different brands and who comes up with the different logo for the different brands. And, and that's okay because that's just who I am. But before I took that test, even though I, you know, I, go around and I teach creativity and I, you know, profess to be creative and all this stuff. There was still part of me that believed that I should have, I should have been something different. Like I should be more business minded or I should be more strategic or I should be better at sales or all this stuff. And when I took that, I was like, no, I shouldn't. I should hire people who are good at that stuff. (laughs) I should be, I should be your creator. Because that's who I am. I love that. Do you know what I mean? And so, so I love the assessment tools, but I love them for more of the more of a kind of like I said, from a validation standpoint rather than a discovery standpoint. Because I think that's really, you know. And I was talking to somebody else actually. I was talking to an Uber driver. I was in San Francisco, and the guy had gone back. He's going back to school to be a product manager. Mm. And, um, and I said, Oh, that's really interesting. He said, yeah, you know, I, I did, I was a, a operations manager for a long time and this, this, and this, but then I worked on a project and it was, we were actually developing a, uh, like a digital product and blah, blah, blah. And I loved the process. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. And, and I, and then we got into like, well, you know, what would you have done if you had known this when you were early? He was like, Oh, I wish I had known that I was good at this earlier. And I was like, well, what were you interested when you were in, you know, in high school and teenager? And he was like, Oh, I actually was really interested in computers, mm. but I decided to do business administration in school instead. And I'm like, what? Like, 
Yeah. Why would you do it? Like, and why would you think he, he said, I, I somehow I thought that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't, wouldn't be good at programming or I wouldn't be good at this. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, and now he's taking programming classes and he's loving them and he's doing well with it. And I was just like, and I thought to myself, it was always there. It was always there. He talked himself out of something that was always there. And now he's coming back to it because it's always been there. I'm a big, I love that. And I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, I've got two kids. They're 12, uh-huh. 13 now. And even when they were babies, the way they behaved as babies, I could tell uh-huh. how they were going to be. Like my son was really kind of laid back and kind of quiet didn't cry too much. He was pretty, you know, cool and, you know, just, just pretty chill. In fact, there was a, a, a photo we had when he was like and from the ultrasound where you could actually see his little thumb was up. Like he was kicked back with his thumb. Like, you not. It was crazy. And so, and then my daughter came out and she was just a complete like spaz, like just screaming and, and, keeping us up late at night and just hilarious as well. Like a total goofball. Like she's like me, more of the extroverted mm. leaning person. And, and my son's mm-hmm. definitely more like my wife, more introverted. And, and uh, yeah, just more, it's, it's really fascinating, even as babies. So, and, and following, you know, I've done a lot of personality assessments and things, you know, my dad was a headhunter uh, th- about 3000 years mm. ago or so back in <laughs> And right. he did a personality assessment on me when I was like 19 or 20 yeah, mm-hmm. through his business and he found it and I actually have a copy of it and it's still like, it's not like not all of it, but a lot of like the foundational stuff, it's shocking how accurate it still is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now like doing, you know, you mentioned strengths finder. Like I did that not too long ago just to see what would happen. And mm-hmm. I've had this revelation over the last couple of years that I am all about communication. And lo and behold, the number one trait for me is communication. And Surprise, surprise, surprise. So <laughs> it's really fascinating. That's why I wanted to focus the first chapter of the book on this, because I think it's so important that, that people do these, these assessments. They do some, you know, just kind of reflect on their own. And as you said, like as a child, like for me, as a kid, you know, I would like, I, I was a total joker. I was a class clown. I was, I mm. acted, I did crank calls back when you could do that. And now you can't do that so much. Uh, <laughs> um, but all that stuff. So it's really fascinating uh, when you look back. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that Uber driver came to, to realize what he, his, his passion should really be. His focus. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, and, and, you know, fear is something um, that often holds us back. And you mentioned you know, fear is a choice uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, you, that you mentioned. So when is it like, when is it good? When is the right time to actually fear something? Um, well, I mean, I love that. I love that quote from the movie that I quoted it from, which I have to mm-hmm. admit, I still haven't seen that movie. Like I was kind of excited when it was supposed to come out back in like 2013 or 2014 or whatever. And I never, I still haven't Remind seen it. Remind me what movie um, was it again? It's it's the movie After Earth with uh, Will Smith and him and his son Jaden. Okay, yes, I have not seen it either. Uh, but um, but I really do. I think that I mean it's 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 a nice quote. It's I think it's hard to remember when you're really really deeply in the midst of fear. Yeah. But maybe that it could be kind of a lifeline to help you, you know, kind of pull yourself out of it. But it's like danger 
is real. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've got like, you know, a bus coming to like hit you or, you know, a saber toothed tiger uh, chasing after you or something of that, you know, like danger is a very real thing, Mm -hmm. but fear is really a mental construct and it's a choice. And so it's kind of, and that's why, you know, it's helpful to have tools like the hands well, you know, holding up your hands and like t- shifting your attention and being like, okay, I'm thinking this because what ends up happening is um, people, we tend to do something called rumination and we'll start cycling on thoughts that are based on things that either happened in the past mm. and we can't change or uh, a lot of times when we get into worry and, and anxiety and stuff like that, it's because we're thinking thoughts about things that haven't happened yet right. that we literally have no, we have no knowledge of whether or not they're going to happen. Ah, you touched on like thinking about on reflecting on things that you couldn't change from your past and then also thinking, being worried about the future. Um, right. And you, and you know, I know you're a big advocate for mind, mindfulness and, and I am present. Tell, yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, it's something that I've tried to adopt and it's something that I've, I've dabbled with as far as meditation and mindfulness. But do you have any tips for people who may not have tried this yet or who have tried and, you know, I won't say failed, but because but, I think the fact that they well, tried in the first place. It's a practice, you know, I mean, it's, it's like anything. I mean, it's, it's, you don't, I mean, there are very few things that we do well without trying, like breathing, mm-hmm. right? You know, plumping blood through our veins, uh, eating for the most part. Like, you know, there's some things that we, we, we do real well uh, and we don't have to work really hard at it. And, and pretty much everything else is effort. Like babies don't come out of the womb walking. They have to learn mm-hmm. and they have to practice over and over and over again. And they fall in their little diapered butts <laughs> and then they get back up and they try it again. And thankfully children don't have inner critics because if they did, none of us would be walking. <laughs> right? That's great. Yeah. We'd all be like, I can't believe grandma saw me fall. It was horrible. I'll never do it again. I'll never try. Right. It's just, it just, I'm just destined for more failure. I'm just going to fall again. Right. Like that, that, you know, thank God babies don't have inner critics. And so, um, and so, um, with mindfulness, it it is a practice. It is something that you have to, that, that, you know, in order to really, to start becoming conversant with it and to, you know, have a modicum of, of effectiveness with it, you have to practice it over and over again. And mindfulness is, you know, kind of having the ability to stand outside of your own thoughts and to look at them and to, and to like, basically, instead of getting wrapped up in whatever the thoughts are to like kind of watch them go by, just like if you were watching clouds go by in the sky or to like, you know, feel something in the moment and then, you know, and then let it go. Like, okay, I felt that thing and now I'm done feeling that. And, you know, I was thinking that and there, there goes that thought, you know? And so, um, you get this kind of, um, detached, not detached, but like kind of impartiality, to your thoughts, you know, instead of thinking that that one thing that you're thinking is the absolute utter truth, or it's the only way of thinking or it's the only way of doing something that you can say, okay, well, 
That's one thing. Like, mm-hmm. like one, one, I've had this experience and I'm sure other people have had this experience when you've been very, very emotional about something, you know, very upset or very emotional in some way. And there's part of your brain or there's part of your mind that goes, Oh, look, I'm really emotional about that right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'm really crying my eyes out mm-hmm. or I'm really, really happy and excited. Like there's part, there's kind of part of you that's this outside observer. And if you kind of step into that place more often, then you, then that's kind of like the beginning of you practicing mindfulness. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is that from that standpoint, you can start to choose which thoughts are the ones that you really focus on. Do you feel that there are, are there, are there programs or apps or anything like that that you recommend for this too? Yeah. So uh, one, one that's really popular for, for um, like meditation and, and mindfulness is called calm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that one is a really popular one. I mean, um, in all honesty, I am, despite the fact that I've been in the tech industry for uh, a long time, um, I have, um, I tend not to use tech and apps and tools for uh, practices like mindfulness and meditation. I tend to use, I, I, um, I like just old school, like sitting down and meditating. Mm. Like I, I like sit, like actually, you know, making the effort to, to manage my thoughts, to get in touch with them and everything. I actually did a, um, a meditation retreat, a uh, 12 day silent, completely silent uh, meditation retreat where I learned how to do Vipassana meditation. And I have to tell you that it was one of the best like consecutive 10 or 12 days that I've ever had in my life. Like, it was just so great to learn this process and to really get in touch with my thoughts and to really get in touch with my body and, um, and so when I meditate or whatever, like that's, that's what I want to do. I want to like sit, I want to sit for, you know, at least 20 minutes, uh, if not 30. And I want to just, just, I want to just dive in, just sink into, sink into it all and just, and just be quiet and still. And the process I've tried before is, and, and continue to try is this just, as you're describing, um, focusing of course on my breath. And then like almost even envisioning my breath going into my lungs and kind of coming back out. Um, mm-hmm. And then as soon as my mind starts to wander, which of course it will, cause I'm like, I live on the internet. And so I'm like squirrel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but as soon as I start to think of something, the idea is to like just push it away and get back to focusing on your breath. And, and I, and I suppose, I suppose someone who can meditate really well, can do this for periods of time where, where the and, ideas and, don't come in your mind or. And what's really well, I mean, and who knows, like also like there's nobody, there's no competition or race and there's, you don't know, people can tell you, I didn't think of anything for 30 minutes. They could be lying. Like, <laughs> you know, you never know. I mean, it's yeah. really just about like, how do you feel afterwards? Like, do you feel calmer? Do you feel better? Does your does your brain does your brain not feel as scrambled and racy and frantic? Mm-hmm. Like, great success. 
did, did you sit down? Mm-hmm. Success, like, was your mind, did you have monkey mind all over the place, but you actually sat down? Great. Success. Yes. Like, you know, like, so, and the other thing is too, is, you know, like I invite you to, to consider that it's not about pushing the thoughts away. It's really more of just changing your focus. Like it's not, you know what I mean? It's not effortful. It's like yeah. you have a thought and then you're just like, oh, I'm thinking a thing. And then you're like, let me focus on my breath again. Right. And so it's not like you're pushing the thought away. You're just like, that's great. And thought you're there and I'll get to you later. I'm, I'm really focused on feeling the air go into my lungs and then leaving my lungs. I love that. I love that. You know? Yeah, this has been great. Uh, this is, I'm, uh, you know, I hope, and I'm going, I, of course, I'll include show notes where, you know, I'll, I'll summarize all the stuff that we talked about so that there are resources. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we uh, wrap up today? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so a few things. Mm-hmm. So um, the first one is that um, I just got done recording a course with LinkedIn learning. Awesome. And uh, so the course is going to be based on my keynote and my book, banish your inner critic. And that is coming out at the end of June. So, Uh, you know, please, if you're uh, a LinkedIn learning subscriber, or even if you aren't, you can just um, get the course. And it's a, it's about um, 30 videos. I don't know how long it translates into, but it's a great time. And it's going to have a lot of great information in it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, And then also in August, uh, the 9th, 10th, and 11th, I am holding a speaking skills boot camp in Miami, Florida, mm. and um, it's going to be great. It's called um, Amplify You. It's amplify-u.com, and um, it's going to be a great thing for people who are aspiring to speak, people who want to kind of you know sink into their speaking skills um, a bit more and kind of start to find their kind of true speaking voice and to have some really learn some really fun, um, interactive ways to get in touch with your speaking and to uh, feel more confident and, and secure. That sounds amazing. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I definitely encourage folks to check that or both of those out because I think, yeah, there'll be a lot of value there for sure. And you are awesome. So that goes without saying (laughs) book too. So I highly recommend that. So um, yes, yes. How do people banish your inner critic? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, and how do folks get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out and say hello? So if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can reach out, send me an email, denise at denisejacobs.com. You can visit my website, denisejacobs.com. Um, if you're interested in consulting, having me come to your company and lead a, a workshop or training or do a program, you can, um, you can go to uh, thecreativedose.com and look me up there. And, um, yeah. And, uh, if you'd like me to be on a podcast or come and keynote an event or whatever, just uh, yeah, reach out to me, um, Denise at denisejacobs.com awesome. for sure. Oh yes. And my book, banish your inner critic. If you want to go to the book website, it's called it's innercriticbook.com and the best place to buy the book is on Amazon. Perfect. And when you do buy her book on Amazon, make sure you leave a review. We love. Yes, we love reviews. We love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Get show notes and more goodies from nice 
nicepodcast.co. That's nicepodcast.co. Or click the link right in the description of this podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast directory. I'm excited to let you know we are now in Apple, so you'll find us there. Thank you for this. And special thanks to Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca, who let us use his music for our show. That was pretty nice of him. And we'll talk to you next time. Be nice.